If you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn to the first, or, or I should say the sixth chapter of Isaiah. And uh, if you're looking at a pew Bible, that's page 487. Isaiah chapter 6. And there should be some outlines going around, by the way. If uh, After they're all dispensed, if you still need one, please uh, hold up your hand and they'll get one for you. Okay? And there, for those of you who don't bring a pen with you on Sunday mornings, there are some pens I know in the back of the pews. And you could fill in these blanks as we go along. Isaiah chapter 6. And it starts out, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. So God is present and he is filling the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. How appropriate is it that we sang that song this morning? At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And so you have the presence of God there, and Isaiah is confronted with the presence of God in the temple. And then listen to these words, because this is what happens to people in the presence of God. He says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I love live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so there's a sense in which whatever we say this morning has to be seen in light of that. The vision of God, and therefore the vision of human beings. Because we can't consider who we are. We can't think about who we are, what we are, without first thinking about who God is and what he means for us. And if God is utterly holy and is the one before whom Isaiah throws himself down and cries, Woe am I! If that's what's going on with Isaiah, that's what needs to go on with us as well. And so there's an overarching presupposition this morning. We accept the reality of the human condition. Okay, that's the first blank there, I think, on the outline, if you look at that. We need to accept the reality of the human condition that we stand before a holy, awesome God. Now we're talking this morning about teaching and modeling in our families truths about sin and forgiveness. And one of the beautiful things about being a preacher is being able to talk about sin and forgiveness. Being able to talk about what it is that Jesus has done for us because it is always such great news. And even for people who've been Christians for 40 or 50 or 60 years, when you start talking about Jesus and the forgiveness that we receive in Christ, the forgiveness that we have from our own personal sins, it is such a blessing to hear the good news again. Isn't it? Like to just hear somebody talking about Jesus having died for you, the way that we talk about on Sunday mornings at the Lord's Supper, is always a blessing to me. 
as I have to think about what it means for me to be forgiven again. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Sin and forgiveness, specifically in the context of our families, which means how is it that we pass on to our children the sense of the reality of sin and our humanity before God and at the same time talk about Christ's forgiveness. And how can we do this in the most effective way possible? Because if there's anything that all of us want as parents especially, it's for our children to come to the realization of who Jesus is. I can remember, I've told you this story before, I can remember when my first son Adam was in the womb and Robin and I would be sitting together and I would put my hands on her stomach which was growing larger day by day as he grew. And I would put my hands on her stomach and I would pray. And I would pray for my son to come to a knowledge of who Jesus was. That he would understand who the Lord of the universe was and that that message would be communicated to him in such a way that it would greatly impact his life. And we need to understand that that's what we're talking about. Now, there are some of you who don't have kids but you live in some kind of family context. And in that family context, all of us are attempting to communicate to others the truth about Jesus and about forgiveness. We want so badly to have people know the Lord. Well, as we start thinking about what that means for us, I just want to give some suggestions this morning that I think will help us move toward this process of helping others to think about Jesus. The first thing... And this is the first key principle, letter B on your outline, is this. Choose to uphold the biblical standards regarding behavior. Choose to uphold the biblical standards regarding behavior. The fact is, is that in our society, it is very easy to make compromises. Sometimes it's too easy, way too easy for us to make compromises. And because of that, that compromising kind of mentality can easily seep into the church, and the people of God. God wants us, as much as he's ever wanted a people in the history of the world, to be holy. He wants us to make decisions that see our behavior conforming to his standard, not our own. Not the standard of CBC. Not the standard of some television show that you think is your favorite. Not the standard of Twilight. There's so many people now reading that series and seeing that movie. But that's not where we get our standard for behavior. We get it from Scripture. We get it from our faith. And the world wants us to compromise in this way, and we need to not to. Now, sometimes we're so afraid, I think, of looking legalistic and of looking moralistic when it comes to our behavior that we sometimes make some compromises. One of the things that I find frustrating when I'm around people who are sometimes making compromises is that they will feel the freedom to flaunt their freedom in Christ. And you probably have been in this kind of context before where somebody says, you know, I'm free in Christ. And because I'm free in Christ, I can do whatever one wants to say. There'll be some behavior. The one that always comes to mind to me is, is the whole drinking thing. You know, Scripture never says anything about we shouldn't drink alcohol. Scripture does have some strong things to say about drunkenness. But because the church, for a long time, walked down the road of pretty much teetotalness, 
There are people today who love to flaunt their new freedom in Christ to be able to drink some alcohol. And every time I see that and they start to flaunt that in front of me, I want to say to them, wait a minute. Let's not flaunt this kind of freedom that moves in the direction of a worldliness. Like there's got to be a mature way to do this rather than an immature approach toward trying to be free in Christ. And so we want to be free in Christ. We want to be genuinely free. But not at the same time flaunt our freedom and move in the direction, I think, of too much liberality. Compromising with sin is to go too much in the direction of liberality and we need to stand strong when it comes to behavior if we're going to teach about sin and forgiveness to our young people. We need to be firm there. Number one here under that letter, B, be as consistent be as consistent as possible with your own behavior. Now I, this is so difficult. It is so hard to be consistent with our behaviors. Here's the one that always gets me. This is confession this morning, okay? The one that gets me is that there are some television shows that are incredibly funny and at the same time have moral content that I find objectionable, especially for my kids. But I love the humor in those shows and I love to watch that humor in those shows. And the classic example in my family is to watch Friends. Like there are all kinds of things about Friends, that particular TV show, that I find objectionable. At the same time, I find it incredibly funny. I used to think the same thing when I was much younger about MASH. There were things in MASH I'd watch and I'd think, man, I, you know, I don't understand why I think this is so funny. It's hilarious, actually. But there are things in it that are objectionable. I used to think the th- same thing about Cheers. Everybody went there because everybody knew the, your name. And it was just, it was a great show. I really enjoyed Cheers. But sometimes the humor just went over the line in terms of what I thought I should have in my home. And I had to wrestle with that. What do you do with that kind of presentation in your home? You want to be consistent. And at the same time, it's incredibly funny. Let's just be honest. That's the truth. And so here's what I did. And I don't know if this will work for you. Maybe it won't. Maybe I'm being totally inconsistent and I'm just making a compromise. You can judge me later. But I would watch certain television shows where I found the content objectionable, and as soon as the content got objectionable, I switched channels. Or I turned it off because I didn't want my kids to see that. Now, you might think that's intolerable, but that was the decision that I made in many cases. And sometimes I think it worked, and sometimes I think it didn't. And I had to be extremely careful there. So I I wrestle with this. And that's what I wanted to say to you this morning is I just wrestle with this. I want to be consistent. But sometimes my consistency could be extremely legalistic if I'm not careful. And trying to balance your consistency with the legalism is hard. And I just want to say that this morning. Sometimes it's hard. I recognize the difficulty of trying to do that. We need to be as consistent as possible with our behavior. But boy, sometimes it's tough. And so number two, I would say that there's something sound about even admitting your struggle with this to your kids. Like I can remember as my kids grew older and they started wrestling with this material themselves, they start to understand it, we would sit and talk about it. 
And I would say to them, you know, I really wrestle with this. Because on the one hand, there are some parts of this that I find very entertaining. There are other parts of this that I find objectionable. And so I would tell them that. And I would say to them, this is why I'm turning the channel at this point because this is objectionable behavior in a television show and I don't want it to be there. I don't want you guys to watch it. And so I just admitted to them the struggle. Sometimes that was really hard. It was difficult. Sometimes I thought, no, I just need to be totally consistent and just shut the TV off. And then I thought, but I don't at the same time want to have that legalistic presentation, moralistic idea presented to my kids And so I wrestled with that. That was the decision I made in my own family, and it was tough. So the first key principle in all of that, I think, is to choose to uphold the biblical standards, but I recognize that sometimes it's not cut and dried. Sometimes it's difficult. We need to be consistent in our behavior, and I think we need to even admit to our kids the struggle that we sometimes go through with that. Let us see the second key principle in teaching others, our children specifically, about sin and forgiveness Be real and authentic regarding both your sin and your forgiveness in Christ. Be realistic and authentic regarding both your sin and your forgiveness in Christ. And number one here, take your own sin seriously. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. In the Pew Bibles, this is page 839. Page 839 in the Pew Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I just want you to listen for a moment the attitude of the Apostle Paul when it comes to sin. 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though... I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is fully admitting here his sinfulness. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive his eternal life. And so I would say to those in families, those who are working with children, it is imperative, it is so crucial for you to simply admit your own sinfulness. Take your sinfulness seriously. The healthiest Christians, listen to this irony, the healthiest Christians are those willing to accept the fact that they are the chiefest of sinners. Do you get that? The healthiest Christians are those who recognize just how sinful they are. And so we talk about this place as being a hospital for sinners. And that's appropriate to speak of it in that way. At the same time, the Christians I wonder about are those who hesitate to admit it. And so when somebody says to me, I'm doing pretty well in terms of my righteousness quotient, you have to wonder if they really understand what it means to be a Christian and what it is that Christ has done for them. People in self-esteem trouble and who are spiritually weak struggle to accept their sinfulness. 
People with healthy self-esteems and are spiritually well-grounded readily accept culpability for their mistakes. So we need to recognize just how sinful we are. In fact, we move in the direction here of wanting to confess. And so the next point in the outline is after you accept your sinfulness, confess it. After you accept your sinfulness, confess it. Listen to these words from James 5.16. James simply says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And the idea is that we're praying about our sinfulness and confessing our sin because that's exactly what we need to do in order to receive forgiveness. And so forgiveness is ours when confession takes place. I can't tell you how imperative it is that parents not act before their children holier than thou, but act like the sinners that they are. And I simply mean recognize the truth about it in your life. There isn't anything more discerning than your child. They will see through you every time. And if you act like you're not sinful, I promise you, they will see it. And they will evaluate your life, not based on what you say when you're talking about how holy you are, but instead by the hypocrisy that they see and the recognition that there's real sin in your life. We need to be honest with our kids about how sinful we are. Now, do I think it's necessary then that we disclose everything to our kids about every sin we've ever committed? Of course not. There's got to be some balance there. I think that can be potentially horrible and harmful to share with our children all the sins of our lives. But if you're a normal family and a normal person, there's going to be enough in your life on a day-to-day basis that you're going to be able to confess to them anyway. You don't need to look to all the deep, dark sins to try and find something. Just confess to them who you are on a daily basis. They need to see the truth about that. The next point in the outline, model for your children and those around you a willingness to admit your sinfulness. And the preacher's confession again this morning, the fact is, is that I'm not a perfect man. Surprise, surprise. Robin's shocked. Her mouth drops open in awe as I confess my sinfulness. I can be arrogant. I can speak without thinking and hurt others. I can lose my temper. I can make errors in judgment. I am capable of committing a whole host of sins. That's just a fact. And so are you. But with the Lord's help, I'm going to keep growing And I'm going to become more and more what God wants me to be. And you have the same capacity in your life, and we need to admit that to our kids. Number two on the outline. In addition to taking our sinfulness seriously, we need to take your own forgiveness seriously. Take your own forgiveness seriously. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It's page 800 in the Pew Bibles. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 page 200 in the pew Bi- or 800 sorry in the pew bibles And look at these words Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. 
And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Now what just happened there is that the text says your guilt was taken away. The responsibility that you share with Christ for your sin just put was put completely onto him. And for those of us who stand in Jesus, we have to feel, we have to sense, we have to possess the fullness of the forgiveness of Christ. I'm not going to read Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. You can read it on your own, but the point is still there. We have to understand forgiveness. We have to feel forgiveness. We have to live out forgiveness. And it is, hear this, sinful for a person not to accept the forgiveness of Christ and for the guilt of their sin to remain in their life. If you can't believe that Jesus has forgiven you and that the sins that you've committed are washed away by the blood of the cross, then what you're saying to Jesus is, your death wasn't good enough. Your death wasn't adequate. It didn't do for me what it needed to do. But Jesus wants you to believe that. He wants you to accept it. And we have to live that out in our lives. Full acceptance of the forgiveness of Christ. And this is so crucial to display before our children. In the same way that your children recognize that you're a sinner, that you aren't the perfect parent that you would really like to be, at the same time that you are truthful about that reality, you have to be just as truthful and just as real about accepting the forgiveness of Christ. Your kids know that you sin. Do they also know that you have fully accepted and believe the forgiveness of Christ in your life? Like, do you have the capacity to move on? After you've known that you've blown it, do you have the capacity to move on? Do you just keep wallowing in that guilt, wallowing in that sin? You've apologized to your kids ten times for yelling at them when it wasn't justified and you lost your temper, so you just keep saying to them, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. We need to be real about our sin, but there comes a time when you need to accept the forgiveness of the Lord and let that work the miracle in your life that it needs to work. When you've received forgiveness, forget about it. And show that your kids, show your kids that you can move on from your own sin to a healthy lifestyle, a healthy life in Christ. So forget about it. Letter D on your outline. Model the balance between upholding behavior standards and forgiving as Christ forgave you. Model the balance between upholding behavior standards and forgiving Christ, forgiving as Christ forgave you. With your kids, it looks like this. Sometimes you have to discipline them, but discipline them immediately and then immediately follow this with evident displays of forgiveness and love. Discipline your kids, but then immediately follow that discipline with evident displays of forgiveness and love. And so there are times when I had to, as a parent, spank. And for those of you who don't spank, you might think, well, you don't have to spank, but we chose to spank. We did spank, okay? And when we got done spanking our children, it was over. And we immediately hugged them 
and love them and let them feel the security and the assurance of knowing that we love them and that the spanking wasn't the real story. The spanking was some punishment for some sin, but it wasn't the whole story because we forgave and loved. And so once the punishment is dispensed, the incident was done. And then between parents. I can remember one time... um, we were actually getting ready to move to Texas from Victoria. And Robin and I had an argument. And I don't remember what the argument was about, but it got pretty heated. I, maybe the rest of you don't have those? Is that right? Okay. We had one. And in the middle of that argument, when we were not being kind to each other at all, Adam, who was at this time about 18, walked in and he said, The two of you better stop acting like children. And he was exactly right. What's important is that after that, Adam's parents stayed together. And they continued to love each other. And they were hopefully the Christians moving forward that they needed to be. And although he saw us at a bad moment and could say to us, stop acting like children, he maybe today thinks we're not quite as young acting as we were. And there's been some growth. And so we as parents sometimes need to Show our love and respect for each other even after an argument. And so following an argument that was evident to all, confess before your children your unkindness. Confess it to them. And the next line in the outline, overtly forgive each other. Show them the forgiveness. Let them see it. And then assure your children of your love for each other and of your love for them because they need to see that. And then in addition to Modeling forgiveness in your relationship with your kids. And in addition to modeling forgiveness in relationship to your spouse, you need to model forgiveness in relationship to others. I don't know how many of you saw Oprah this week uh, on about Thursday. Uh, Robin and I, uh, we were both home getting ready for dinner. We're cooking. (laughs) We're cooking like I cook. Um, She's cooking. Uh, I might have been setting the table. Okay, And we were, we were around the kitchen, and Oprah was on while we are preparing all of this. And the story came on of these two young ladies who had been riding together in a college van on the way to a trip. Did you see this, Brian? You kind of nodded like maybe you saw this. Okay. The story is of Whitney and Laura. And they're with six others or five others on this van traveling to this distant trip there's a horrible accident apparently a driver of a semi-truck fell asleep the van was involved in this accident it was horrific there are five people on the van that are killed there's one that survives and they take care of her Um, they're convinced that it's Laura who lived so Whitney and the four others died. Laura survives, and she's in the hospital. She's got brain damage. She has severe injuries all over her body, and she is bandaged with her face covered except for about this much. And so for five weeks in the hospital, Laura's parents cared for her, nurtured her. They were with her 24 hours a day. And then they started getting signs, little hints, that maybe Laura 
wasn't Laura. And so after a number of things took place that kind of pointed in this direction, one day Laura's sister is wheeling Laura down the hallway and she stops and says to Laura in the middle of the hallway, what's your name? And Laura responded by saying, Whitney. And she said, who are your parents? And the girl named Whitney's parents and the sister knew that there is no way that Laura knew the names of Whitney's parents. And so it became clear to her instantly after a number of hints that had kind of added up and now this story in the hallway that it was not Laura who had survived the crash but that it was Whitney who had survived the crash and it was Whitney who was alive in the wheelchair. For five weeks, Laura's parents had thought this was their daughter. The sister thought this was her sister. In the meantime, Whitney's family had had a funeral. And they had read a eulogy. And they had talked about their daughter and how wonderful she was, thinking that she was deceased. Well, the story eventually broke, of course. And they confirmed that indeed this was not Laura who was alive, but it was Whitney. The two blondes had looked so similar. Their ID had been scattered at the time of the accident. And they had simply misidentified both the living girl and the one who had died. And it was time now for them to switch places. Well, I could tell you a lot more of that. We don't have time for all of that. Here was a a poignant moment. Here we are watching this on Oprah, and the two families are there. And as it turns out, both families, Whitney's parents, who are now blessed to have their daughter alive, and Laura's family, who is there, but unfortunately their daughter had died in the accident. They're both there, and they're both, there's mention of both these families Uh, loving Christ, both being Christian families. And they they turned to Whitney's family and talked to her, talked to, to the father about how did you get through this when you thought your daughter had died. And he talked about his faith in Jesus Christ. He very pointedly said, it was our faith in Jesus Christ that got us through. And then, of course, his daughter ends up living. Then Oprah turns to Laura's parents and says, and what do you do? For five weeks, You nurtured this girl thinking that this was your daughter and now you find out that your daughter is dead. And the father said, he said, one of the worst things that happened or one of the things he had to deal with was just in, in days after they had determined what happened, lawyers started to pester him. He started getting calls from ambulance chasers. And they said, this is horrific. This ordeal that you've had to go through, you've got to sue. And the father said, he said this on public television on Oprah's program, he said, in light of what I have received from Christ, I wasn't about to punish anybody else and I simply forgive. The person that he most poignantly had to forgive was the coroner. Because it was the coroner who assessed the life and death of these individuals and who claimed that the one girl, Whitney, had died when she had actually lived. And he confirmed Whitney's death inappropriately. The coroner was in the audience. He's crying. Tears are coming down his face. He knows the huge mistake that he's made. But this man forgives him for the mistake that he made. The daughter who had discovered that it wasn't her sister in the hallway, was, of course, this man's daughter. 
And I couldn't help but think as I watched him talking about forgiveness and how he wasn't going to hold this against these people. And as I watched the daughter's response, and she was unbelievably mature. I mean, obviously just such a fine young lady. As I watched all of that, I thought, you know, this man's forgiveness has directly impacted the behavior of this girl. So that when she stood in the hallway with her supposed sister and realized that it was not his sis- her sister, she didn't say a word. She didn't make a big deal. She just went and took this girl back to her room and didn't let on that she even knew or realized that anything was different. That took guts. That took some character for her to live that way. And I think it's directly attributable to her parents and the way they respond to situations like that. They forgave beyond measure with what they had received. Let's pray. Lord, help us to model for our kids what it means to be a sinner, what we recognize as sinfulness in our own lives. Help us to want so badly to live right before you. And Father, when that doesn't happen, help us to accept from you full forgiveness and then to pass on to others the kind of forgiveness that we have received from you. And Father, we pray that this kind of living will greatly impact those we're trying to train and to teach, and most specifically, our kids. Through Christ we pray. Amen.